You are listening to Episode 3 of Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 5. An Unexpected Invitation After a pleasant lunch of bread, cheese, and fresh tomatoes from the small patch behind the hut, Tanith returned to Mother Alterton's to begin the long process of sorting through the jars, crocks, and packets on the shelves. It was a legacy of sorts that belonged to the village, and Tanith felt drawn to discover what might be useful in the collection. Unlike the dusty, dried materials, which held little value beyond fireplace tinder, these jars and packages might still hold potency, depending on what she found and how it was made. She spent an afternoon sorting through the collection and discovered blocks of beeswax, small crocks of various salves and ointments, as well as a collection of dried and powdered materials. One crock on the floor held sweet olive oil. She also found a couple of bottles of neutral spirits, as well as two well-sealed bottles of lamp oil. Each jar, bottle, or packet was labeled neatly in a firm, if sometimes thin and spidery, hand. There was even a small alembic for distilling essential oils from various herbs. Tanith concluded that Mother Alderton could have taught her a lot, and she offered a prayer to the All-Mother in the late woman's name. The shifting light from outside reminded her that the days grew shorter very quickly, and that the current one was fading fast. She pulled her bedroll from the lashings under her pack and eyed the cot dubiously. The rope webbing didn't look that comfortable with just a thin bedroll to pad it, and she was of half a mind to sleep outdoors when Riley came to the door and hallooed. Mom, I've your tick here. Ma had me and the other kids filling it up with sweetgrass all afternoon. She looked up to see the boy, surrounded by his pack, dragging a canvas ticking with odd bulges. She smiled at the flushed and sweaty faces. Thank you all. She waved an arm to invite them in. The small tribe of children... She counted five, but it seemed like many more, wrestled the heavy canvas bag of sweetgrass through the low doorway and onto the bed frame in the corner. Riley was the largest and eldest by what looked like a year. There were a pair of tow-headed twins, a boy and a girl, next in line, and then a couple of younger children who regarded her shyly through dark eyes. They were all nut-brown and infused with the puppy-like energy of small and healthy children. They were also covered with grass litter and other assorted grimes. Tanith smiled and remembered her own Robert fondly this time, without her normal pang of regret. Riley gave the corner of the straw-filled mattress one last tug into place and smiled up at her. There you go, Mum. Bestest tick in the village. Thank you, Riley. I do appreciate the help you and your friends have given me. Tanith beamed around at the flushed and sweat-smeared faces smiling up at her. Riley stepped into the silence. I'll write you lot out. He waved his arms toward the door as if shooing chickens, and they all pelted for the open doorway and in an instant were hooping and hollering outside and running off in the direction of the barn. Tana smiled inwardly and spread her bedroll. She resisted the urge to lie down on it and try it out, half worried that if she did, she wouldn't get up. The short night and stressful day had conspired to exhaust her. Soon enough, she thought to herself, soon enough. In the meantime, she looked around for the pantry, and what she'd been trying to figure out earlier struck her forcefully. There was no apparent pantry or root cellar, the hut itself was practically bereft of any kind of storage other than what could have hung from the rafters or stacked on the shelving. Naturally, anything useful would have been taken out, which raised an additional question about the table chairs and oil lamp. Surely those were valuable, but there they sat. She screwed up her mouth in consternation as she peered around the darkening hut. The sun drooped below the tree line in the west, robbing her of needed sunlight. Crossing to the hearth, she laid a pile of the dry and dusty vegetation down with several small sticks above it. A flint and steel from her pack soon got the tinder smoldering, and the small cheery fire gave light to the inside of the hut and nothing flat. 
Standing on the hearthstone, she spotted the iron ring set into the floor to one side. She crossed to it and pulled open the trapdoor, revealing a hollow in the dirt under a simple door. It looked big enough to store several bushels of root crops. She dropped the door back on its hinge and stepped down the two steps to investigate further. It was noticeably cooler and the floor was lined with coarse river gravel to keep moisture from the bottom of the baskets when there might be baskets in it. The whole thing was barely two yards square and a yard deep, but a clever arrangement of boards under a thin layer of tamped earth kept it from being obvious when viewed from above. It was, of course, empty. Any foodstuffs would have been salvaged first, but it gave Tanith an idea of just how well thought out these huts really were. She clambered up the steps and stood there looking at the empty larder, thinking ahead to winter. There was little enough room there to keep tubers from freezing, and she wondered if there was enough food to see the village through. The equinox was only a few days away, and the hours of daylight would soon be very short. She considered the food in her pack and what she'd be eating if she were on the road. Her intake while walking the byways was relatively good. She frequently found apples, pears, and berries this time of year. She wasn't above snaring a rabbit or two along the way, and she was rather adept at fishing. While there were outposts along the road where she could spend a few coppers and purchase a bit of tea and replenish her oatmeal supply, the all-mother provided much of what she needed. She closed the back door of the hut, went to the front, and climbed up the short steps to the ground. She stood there quietly in the shadows as dusk crept across the vale. A group of men appeared from the narrow track back into the woods. Amber had pointed it out as the path to the clay quarry, and it was just wide enough to get the lorry wagon back there to load it. Judging from the looks of the men coming down the trail, Clay was a dirty business. They all looked to be in good spirits and laughed and chatted as they swung easily along. At the edge of the village they spread out, heading for the various huts. Movement on the road caught the corner of her eye just as William and the ox cart made a plodding return, the cart heaped with wood. William's smile was a flash of white against his sun-stained face, and Tanith was a bit surprised by how dark it had gotten so quickly. "'Is everything satisfactory, Mum?' William called as the cart made its slow way up the path. Thank you, William. Very. He knuckled his forehead in acknowledgement. If you need anything, just ask, Mum. You're a guest of the village. She nodded her thanks, and the ox pulled a load of wood past and on toward the barn. She stood for a few more minutes and eventually heard the clatter of wood on wood as William dumped a load of firewood from the cart. In the forest surrounding the clearing, Tanith heard the daybirds settling. The soft noises of the wind through the branches died down as sunset progressed. She knew the night winds would begin soon, and with it, the night birds would begin to call. Standing there, with the sounds of wood and village all around, she found herself caressed by a gentle peace. She stood there until the night chill started to work through her clothing, before stepping back into the hut and pulling her heavier outer coat from the backpack. It wasn't much to look at, but it was mostly waterproof and stopped the wind from stealing the warmth from her. She checked the hearth once more to make sure the coals were well contained, and added a smallish log to the andirons. She needed to check on Sadie and felt a trifle guilty for not having done so sooner. When she arrived, Tanith found Sadie up and about, sitting on a stool at the family table while Thomas turned a pair of grouse over the fire. Tanith was taken aback. My goodness, you're not going to eat those, my dear, are you? Sadie smiled wanly and shook her head. No, Mom, I'm having this nice bit of broth and some bread. She nodded to a heavy earthenware mug on the table, along with some crumbs where a loaf might have been. My poor body isn't ready for grouse yet. You're doing well enough to be up and about, then. The younger woman shook her head gently. Enough to make it to the outhouse and back. That's about all, Mum. But I'm feeling more like myself. Tanith pressed the back of her hand against Sadie's forehead and found it cool and dry. Your fever is broken. She nodded to herself. 
A good night's sleep, and you'll be ready to begin working with us a bit tomorrow. Working with you, Mum. I'll be spending the day or so here helping you learn about willow bark and cattail root. Sadie looked uneasy. Do you think I could, Mum? Mother Alderton always did for us, and she was so smart and clever with her salves and ointments and all. Her voice trailed off. Tannis smiled. You rest easy on that score, Sadie. We won't deal with anything complicated. Just the simple things you all should know anyway, living way out here on your own like this. At least until you can get another healer to join you. Do you think we could, Mum? Find another healer, I mean. Tannis shrugged. I don't know why not. It's a lovely place, and the cottage is very well built. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody didn't come along to fill it. Would you do it, Mum? Sadie looked up at her earnestly. Tanith grinned back. Oh, merciful heavens, child, I'm no healer. I know my limits. I have some rough knowledge from working with plants, but I'm just a poor herbalist. Sadie looked crestfallen. Oh. She sighed. Well, it was worth asking. She looked up once more. Thank you, Mum, for all you've done for me. I knew I wasn't going to pass on, but it was a mite scary there for a time. Her eyes blinked rapidly a couple times as if she were holding back tears. Having you come back made a world of difference to all of us. You're welcome, my dear. I'm just glad I was able to help. She looked to where Thomas was still turning his grouse and smiled on him. You take good care of her tonight, Thomas. I will, Mom, and thank you. Do I need to give her any more of this tea? He nodded at the iron pod with the dregs of willow bark. She shook her head. No, and that should probably be thrown out and the pot cleaned before you try to cook with it again. It's a trifle bitter, and you won't want that in the next pot of soup. They all laughed, and Tanith headed for the door. You sleep well tonight, and I'll show you how to scrape willow bark tomorrow. She slipped out and closed the door behind her. The grouse had looked and smelled delicious, but two grouse were little enough to feed Thomas and the kids without her mooching from them. She sighed. Yes, food was going to be a problem. She needed to get supplied, and soon. Before she'd taken three steps toward Mother Alderton's hut, Riley came pelting out of the dusk. There you are, Mom. He sounded jubilant at having found her, if a bit breathless. I am indeed, young sir. Tannis smiled at him. And now that I'm found? There was an answering flash of white in the dim light as he smiled back. Ma says you could come to dinner with us if and you don't mind, Mom. Would you like that, Riley? Oh, yes, Mom. It's a treat having company for dinner. He fairly wriggled with excitement. Well, then I accept. Lead on, young sir, lead on. He turned and walked toward the Mapleton hut, glancing over his shoulder now and again to see if she were keeping up. Inside the hut was an island of warmth and light in the gathering chill of evening. See, Ma, I found her. Riley's voice carried proud triumph as if there had been some doubt. I see that, Riley. Now go wash your hands. Dinner's ready and I'm hungry. She smiled at her little one as he scurried out the back door to wash up. William chuckled as he rose to greet Tanith. In one door and out the other, that one. He gave a little nod in her direction. Thank you for coming, Mum. Tanith nodded back. Thank you for asking. I was just wondering about my supplies. Perhaps you two can advise me? He waved her into a seat that had obviously been prepared for her, and Riley belted back in from the back, took his seat beside a sleepy-looking sister. Tanith smiled at the little girl, who grinned back shyly. Amber brought earthenware bowls of a rich-smelling stew of venison and root crops, liberally sprinkled with fresh-cut chimes. She set bowls in front of each of them, and then unwrapped a loaf of fresh yeast bread. As she settled in her place, she gave a little nod to William, who spoke loudly and sincerely. Thank you all, Mother and all Father, for the bounty you've provided and the protections you've extended. We thank the Guardian of the North for protecting the land. We thank the Guardian of the East for blessing the air. We thank the Guardian of the South for the fire in our hearth, and the Guardian of the West for clean water and the blessed rains that nourish our crops. Blessed be. 
In the heartbeat that followed, Amber and the children repeated, Blessed be. Tanith added her own belated Blessed be. It had been a long time since she'd heard a formal prayer, and the rhythm of it soothed her in this place. The children were quivering over their spoons, but waited for Tanith as honored guest to take the first morsel. She smiled and tasted her stew, releasing them from their bonds of etiquette to pounce on their suppers like the small hungry animals they were. It was a rich broth, flavorful with meat and vegetables, and Tanith found herself three spoons in before she knew it. Amber, this is wonderful stew. Tanith smiled to her hostess and accepted a thick slab of warm, crusty bread to go with it. Amber beamed in pride and smiled into her bowl. Thank you, Mum. William smiled at his wife at some secret communion, and they shared a small laugh. Tanith didn't ask, and they didn't offer, but she suspected that a goldsmith's daughter probably didn't learn to cook at her mother's apron strings. Her mind filled in a lot of possibilities involving fires, iron pots, and meals gone terribly awry. They ate in comfortable silence for a time, giving proper attention to the hot stew and warm bread, washing it down with fresh water. Tanith had been on the road long enough that the settled meal tasted very good. Supplies? How can we help, Mom? He turned his intense brown eyes on her. She sat back on her stool, suddenly self-conscious that she'd been shoveling the stew almost as fast as young Riley. When I travel, I can only take what I can carry. She looked back and forth between them. I normally restock my tea and some dried grains as I pass through various villages along the way, and the all-mother provides nicely, especially this time of year, so I don't need to carry much. She nodded at the bowl in front of her. Meat like this isn't something I see a lot of while I'm traveling, nor yeast bread. She smiled at Amber. It's wonderful, and I thank you for supper. Oh, you're most welcome, Mom. Thank you for taking the time from your journey to help us. Tanith turned back to William. I expected there to be a village somewhere along here, an established one where I could buy a bit of tea and some oatmeal, perhaps some raisins or dried apples. William's look turned inward as he thought. Fox Run is about five days on toward Overton. You must have come through Maplesboro last week sometime. Such as it was, yes, Tanith agreed. Lovely little village, and the innkeeper brews a fine ale. She smiled as she remembered the innkeeper's reticence about selling ale to a woman, but didn't mention it or the episode with her staff on his instep when he got a mite too friendly. In the end, a few coppers' worth of ale had tasted fine with her meal of roasted pork and potatoes, and the innkeeper's lovely wife nodded approvingly as Tanith donned her hat and pack and struck out once more. There are lots of things to eat along the way, and streams full of fresh water and fat trout if you know where to look. Sounds like you've got this down to an art, Mum. William was gazing admiringly at her. Well, I've been doing it for a long time, William. If I hadn't learned how to travel well by now, I'd still be back in Fairport. She smiled demurely, and her tone was faintly self-mocking. My first few years on the road were somewhat less successful than they might be now. She grinned at him. Tender feet, sore shoulders, peeling skin were my constant companions for a very long time. Amber spoke up. So what is it you do exactly, Mum? if you don't mind my asking? I mean, I know you travel and learn from herbalists and all, but how does that work? Tennis shrugged. It's nothing set in stone, my dear. I started on the road with Mother Agnes Dogwood in Fairport. I spent a season with her and learned the basics. She knew of a woman who specialized in blackberry who lived in Shreve, so, after a couple of letters back and forth, I arranged to spend a few months with her. She knew a woman farther down the road who knew more than everything about burdock and cattail, and I wintered over with her. She was getting on and needed help through the colder months. In the spring, I moved on to the next, then the next. It's been going on twenty winters now. Seems like I've always been on my way somewhere all that time. 
She smiled at the two of them. Now I'm a tough old boot and headed up to the Northland to meet with somebody that I've heard tales about but never thought to meet. Gertie Pinecrest is her name. She's a legend down south for what she knows about medicinal plants and their uses. William shook his head. Never heard of her. Tanith grinned at him. I suspect not. She's not well known outside of the small circle. She shrugged her shoulder. No reason for you to know her. I thought she was a story myself for the longest time, and then I met a woman who'd learned from her. Tanith stopped herself from saying much more about that. Barbara Meyerston had been a bit frightening in her abilities. Vigorously competent and seemingly tapped into an unseen world that gave her amazing insights that she'd never talk about, even to her students. So she's expecting you, Mum, this Mother Pinecrest? William asked. Tanith made a grimace. No, actually, Mother Meyerston sent me north with directions on how to find her. I need to ask in person if she'll take me as a student. Maybe she will and maybe she won't. Tanith shrugged. Ember's eyes got wide. You mean you'd go all that way and not know if it's worthwhile? What if she won't take you as a student? Tanis shrugged again. Well, the trip is always worthwhile. I get to meet so many charming people like you along the way. She paused to beam at the small family and saw that the girl had actually fallen asleep in her seat, head lolling back and mouth slightly open, while Riley stared wide-eyed and rapt at her story. But the possibility is that I could get up there and have to turn around and come back, yes. Has she ever turned anybody away? William looked concerned. I don't know. All I know is that she's supposed to be one of the keepers of the old lore, back from the early days when the world was filled with magic. She shrugged, embarrassed, and looked back and forth between the two adults. That's what they say, anyway. I've studied with many of the very best herbalists in the land, and they all hold Mother Pinecrest in the highest regard, so I'm going to go try to find her, learn what I can, and then maybe settle down somewhere and write up all I've learned about herbs and medicinals before I start to forget it myself. But if you get up there and she turns you away with winter clothes and in, you'll be stuck up there. His voice carried oppressive worry. That's a harsh land. I visited it more than once, and it's no place to be when the snow starts piling up. Tannis shrugged. It's not an ideal situation, I agree, but Mother Pinecrest is getting on. I'm afraid to wait too long for fear she'll pass over before I've had a chance to meet her. She shook her head. I have to get there, and soon... Amber's frown looked concerned, and her eyes pleaded with her husband across the table. He gave a small nod in reply and took a deep breath. Mom, would you consider wintering here with us? Tanith cocked her head to one side. Winter here? William nodded slowly with a glance at his wife, who returned the nod encouragingly. Mother Alterton's cottage is available for you. None here would gainsay your stay in, and you'd have a snug place to live. We could surely use your knowledge here. Mother Alderton was called home before her time and before she could pass on much of what she knew. Before she realized she needed to, most like, Amber looked somber. She was a dear lady, and I miss her sorely. There are a couple of empty cottages, actually, Mom, if you don't fancy staying in Mother Alderton's. William didn't say it, but the implication that she might not want to live in a house where the previous dear lady had died in her bed was clear on his face. It's a lovely little house, Tanith assured him, marvelously built. Was that your doing, William? He colored, embarrassed by the praise, but nodded. Yes, um, I used to work in my dad's shipyard when I was a boy. He wanted me to learn the business from the bottom up. I never got much beyond plank and hulls before it became obvious that the business was going to my older brothers, Stephen and Richard. They were grooming me to be foreman, I think, but... His voice trailed off. It's not what I really wanted. Much as I like making the boats, running the shipyard and dealing with shipping, that's not something I really wanted for myself anyway. 
and they didn't like that we married in spite of them. Amber's voice was teasing him, even if it carried an undercurrent of bitterness. Well, you're worth two shipyards, my heart. He smiled at her across the table. And besides, we've got these to consider. He nodded at the two kids. They'll do better to make their own way than to wait on scraps from the high table. Returning to the subject in question, he looked up at the roof trees. Anyway, I figured if I could keep the water out of the ships, then it would probably keep the water off our heads. I just planked the roofs as if they were hulls. It was a lot easier because I didn't need to bend the planks to make them fit. Just careful fit, tight pegs, oak them and pitch in the seams. Thomas and the others laughed at me at the time, but they appreciate not having to replace thatching every year. He smiled. You built all these houses at once. It must have taken quite a crew. He nodded. Yes, Mom. Well, it took almost all of one summer. We came out in the fall and felled the trees, cleared the land, and pulled the stumps. It's amazing what ten men and an ox can do when they've a mind. We camped rough and worked from sun up to sundown, from harvest moon to nearly midwinter. How did you afford it? Tannis blurted the question before she realized it might not be the most polite one. William just grinned. One of the things about being a rich kid, Mum, he shrugged. My father was happy to pay us off to get us out of his hair. We sell the clay to one of his companies. He makes a profit on it. Do you have to pay him back? Tanith was totally unfamiliar with how rich people lived, so the idea drew her into areas that she might not have ventured in in other circumstances. Amber grinned. We already have. William nodded with a satisfied smile. We're not beholden to anybody at the moment, Mum. What we have is ours, so long as we hold it. Got the paperwork filed with the King's Commissioner in Overton and everything. They ate quietly for a few minutes before Amber spoke again. Our parents, and I'm sure a lot of the people who came out here with us, Sadie and Thomas's folks, they thought we'd get out here and play house for a while until we got sick or cold or tired of it and then head back to town with our tails between our legs, begging for shelter. There was a tone of quiet bitterness in her voice. She didn't look up as she spoke. But you didn't. Tanith was matter-of-fact in her statement. Amber still didn't look up. Not yet, anyway. She didn't sound very enthusiastic. William looked at her across the table. We're not going to. There was a bit of heat in his voice. Why would you, Amber? Tanith directed the question to the young woman and turned her head away from William. She sighed and looked up. It gets harder each year, Mum. When Mother Alderton passed, I thought we were done for, but we muddled through. She ate some more of her stew. But when Sadie got sick and nobody knew what to do, her voice petered out. Tanith reached over to pat the younger woman's arm reassuringly. She'd have survived. It was just a flux. She said it softly and caught the younger woman's eyes in her own. She's a strong girl, and it wasn't like I did anything at all but make her a little more comfortable. She got better on her own. Amber looked like she wanted to believe, but she shook her head. Your being here helped. Just your being here. Tannis shrugged. Perhaps, my dear, perhaps. But that's a long way from giving up your dream here. What makes you say that? She paused, and when the woman didn't respond, pressed a bit more. Not yet. What's going on? Amber glanced at William before answering. Frank hasn't come back with the wagon and team yet. William clanked his spoon a bit harder than he needed to against his bowl. Amber turned on him. You can sit there and say any day now, William Mapleton, but what if something's happened to him, or if he's run off with the money and the horses? Tanith looked to him with a raised eyebrow. Well, if he's run off, then we'll have to try to rent a team for the rest of the season, and then we'll see where we are in the spring. William kept his voice low and reasonable sounding, but there was a tightness in it. If something's happened to him, then we'll have to deal with that too. He sighed and turned to Tanith. He's never been this late in his return. A few days, once in a great while. Once one of the horses threw a shoe, 
Once the factor was late settling up in Overton, he shrugged. If something happened to the lorry wagon, then he might be delayed getting it repaired. One of the horses might have gone lame. Any number of things could be keeping him, and he's only a bit more than a week overdue. Amber sighed, and the anger seeped out of her. You're right, husband. I know you're right, but I can't help worrying. She turned to Tanith. He's bringing back a load of grain and dry goods for our winter stockpile. If he doesn't get back, we don't have enough food to get through the winter. William grimaced and shook his head. Maybe so, maybe no. We have a force full of game that hasn't been overhunted, and it'll be weeks yet before snow flies. Buster won't like it, but he can make a trip to town if need be. We only need to get to Fernsdale to buy grain, and the potato and turner crops are going to be very good this year. William considered before speaking further. We're not going to starve. Not this winter. Last winter it might have been different, but we've plenty, and then some. He grinned. It might get a bit boring by spring, but we'll be fed. Tanith dunked a crust of bread into her stew and savored it before responding. Yet you're willing to take on another mouth by inviting me to winter over? William shrugged. I see it as one more productive member of our community, Mum. One who has the knowledge to keep the rest of us going and healthy. Amber nodded. I do, too. As William says, I'm being too hasty in this. He's right. Our food stocks right now are much higher than we had last winter, and we still have a few months to gather. She sighed and shrugged. And Frank could be back tomorrow with the team. Tanith finished her stew, cleaning the inside of the bowl with the last bit of her bread before popping the savory into her mouth. So, worst case, he's run off and taken your money with him? William shook his head. Now our money is all safe in Overton. There's nothing to spend it on out here. He'll bring back some coins, but the majority of our funds stay in the bank in Overton. He's authorized to purchase goods for us, but the money to pay for what he brings back is all in the bank there. The accountants keep it straight, and we don't get robbed out here. What if the accountants steal your golds? Well, then the bank has to deal with the king's own. They take it pretty personally. William grinned. The king wants his tithe. He can't get it from stolen money. Besides, we're too small to worry about, and we pay our accountant well to keep our affairs in order. The alternative is to keep the money here, and we can't protect it here. As long as we're poor, nobody will bother us. Tanith eyed Amber, and the look wasn't lost on William. He sighed. If we're attacked, everybody runs into the woods and hides. It's not much, but it's all we have unless we go back to town and cower behind the city walls. Tanith made a sideways nod, granting him the point. At least you've thought that far ahead. We're right off the road, Mum. Not that many dastardly people travel the pike. There are too many chances to be spotted by one of the king's own, and too much trouble will bring them down from Overton or up from Easton. He shrugged. You were walking the pike alone, Mum. You know what it's like better than us, I suspect. Tanith granted him that point as well. All right, then. Let me sleep on it overnight, and I'll give you my decision in the morning. What are the terms? Terms, Mum. William seemed surprised by the question. Terms, sir. Will you expect rent? How much support can I count on from the village? I haven't been here to contribute to the larder, so how much will I be able to draw? That sort of thing. Tanith kept her voice crisp and businesslike. Amber spoke softly, but it was evident that she meant every word. Mum, Mother Alderton was a full member of our little family. She drew what she needed and gave back much more than she ever took. We can't put a price on that in terms of so many stones of barley, so many bushels of potatoes. Yes, but I'm not Mother Alterton, Amber. I'm just a little old lady who's wandered too far from home. Amber smiled. You're a tough old boot with a lot of wear on the last yet, and I mean no disrespect in saying that, Mum. If you'll stay and help us this winter, teach us what we need to know to keep going, and just do what you think you can. You can draw what you need from the stores, and we'll gladly share whatever we have with you. 
William looked shocked at his wife's plain speaking, but Tannis' mouth twitched in an involuntary grin. Very well, then. I think I know what I'm up against. Her face softened into a smile as she noted that both the children had fallen asleep in a huddled pile, and I think they have the right idea. Thank you for dinner, and I think I need to go to Mother Alderton's cottage and sleep on it. William and Amber both rose, but William was the first to speak. Of course, Mom. She stood and gave a small bow to William. Thank you, sir, for a most interesting and enlightening evening. He grinned and knuckled his forehead. Thank you, Mom, for your kindness and consideration. She turned to Amber and surprised the younger woman by giving her a close embrace. Bless you, child. The two women separated. Tanith gathered herself and headed out the door. Outside, the night had fallen almost completely. A faint, ruddy glow showed over the tops of the trees to the west, and the nearly full moon peeked up over the treetops to the east. She crossed her arms against the chilly night air, heavier coat or not, and crossed the village with just a few steps. The night sound from the surrounding forest was punctuated once by a woman's laugh from one of the huts behind her. She stopped at her door and turned to survey the tiny hamlet. You could do worse, old woman. She said it softly to the night, but the words echoed inside her. You could do worse. The chill night air struck through her then, and in the spruces an owl called. She slipped the latch and entered the hut, closing the door carefully behind her. Thanks for listening to Ravenwood, a Tanith Fairport adventure. Music is The Hill, composed and produced by Ivan Chu. Find this and other works by Ivan Chu at www.archive.org. You can learn more about the composer and his works by visiting his blog at myrightbrain.wordpress.com. This has been a presentation from Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information on Tanith Fairport and stories from the Lamas Wood, visit www.lamaswood.com.